The experience of being human has many universal qualities that make it easier to learn together than apart. The purpose of Emotional Warrior Radio is to bring the learning processes one goes through in talk therapy out into the world so everyone has the opportunity for growth. Come and join us on this journey. Welcome back to the second session with our guest looking to develop within herself the ability to set boundaries with her mother. This episode is about understanding the dynamic impact our past, family, and relationships have upon our unconscious mind, behaviors, and self-concept. The way I work in this episode contains one of my favorite aspects of practicing therapy in an analytic way. That is being able to dive deeply into areas of her life that she's unsuspecting of being so meaningful and the revelations that come from doing that. So let's begin and I'll see you again after the session. I wanted to just start with asking you how you did after the last session and if anything came up for you last week as far as like you know, a lot of times these sessions will mobilize feelings and ideas and, and even memories, dreams, anything you want at all. I mean, open to you to discuss. God, I, I don't want to go into my dreams because I always have wildly vivid dreams. And last night I had a very, you know, motherly disturbing one. Um, Uh, That one was very like, I I was protecting myself from like demons that were in my mother's house that were out to physically harm me. Um, Mm -hmm. And it, it spoke to a lot of the feelings of protection that I, I feel like I've been missing. Right. A, A lot of the things I was talking about um, had to do with, you know, feeling like I needed some kind of physical distance or barrier from my mother and I think a lot of that came up as um you know I I do have a lot of like home invasion type dreams where I feel like I'm lacking some sort of protection um and I I don't have them as much as I used to especially with my current partner because I actually feel safe when I'm around him (laughs) but but yeah that's been a very like common theme through a lot of my life is having that home invasion um thing um and something else that came up for me um I did have like a day I think two days later I did a lot of processing Um, And I was talking to my best friend back and forth about, um, you know, we talked about this uh, and this came up and, you know, I process a lot of things with her. We're constantly in contact. Um, And we talked a lot about identity um, and a a lack of feeling identity at all um, that I've always felt. And as an adult, it became something of like, you know, one day you'll figure out what you want to do with your life. You know, you kind of keep that in the back of your head, like one day I will figure it out. And I still feel like I haven't figured that out. (laughs) There's no real like 
guidance. I am very interested in a lot of different things um, and that changes constantly, but there's never been something that like, this is my career. This is, you know, who I am. This is what I do. That's something that's always been very questionable throughout my whole life. Um, so we talked a lot about just um, a lack of identity. Right. I think both of those um, topics very on point to what we were discussing as far as the sense of self and how it's formed and when mother is the one water, like having you hold space for her, how do you form an idea of yourself without, you know, subconsciously or unconsciously relating back to the identification of being for her first. So what if something you've chosen isn't within, you know, her, what if she doesn't approve or what if it, you know, goes too far in this direction or that direction, even though you're not consciously thinking, am I really like considering that in all my decisions? It's, it's because you're not really finding definitive clues along the way of the, yes, that's me. Oh, that resonates. It's just this proliferation of ideas and creative inspiration and direction. It still stays without like form and, and purpose. And that's much easier to get away with when mother is the form and the purpose. So, you know, psychologically you can see here you know, that there's a way that your mind has definitely continued to grow in, in different areas and have different interests, but hasn't actually taken that step to become a definitive me, I. Right. Because that, that really, that puts you out there in a specific way. And, and as I'm saying that, can you tell me what you're maybe contemplating or what came to mind? Uh, 100%. Um, thinking of that, um, that kind of, you know, identity outside of whatever my mother thinks I should be or imagine me to be. Um, it is really, it's a pet peeve of mine to hear mothers say, oh, this is my mini me, because I know that narrative so well of, you know, this is who I imagine my child to be. This is how I will dress that. I was very much, you know, she made my clothes for me, which was lovely, but she very much dressed me in a certain way and, you know, would do my hair. And it, I wasn't like a pageant mother kind of thing, but she was a PTA mother. So, you know, president of the PTA, in charge of all the PTA things, um, kind of full speed into the appearance of it all um, without any of the substance happening behind the scenes. Um, so, yeah, that definitely brought up uh, and I thought about this a lot last week of that um, this certain idea that's also not very clear of what my mother felt like I should be. Mm. Um, and she's she's not very critical of me um, for doing something like art, because that's usually where, you know, my interests lie and uh, design or write any kind of like artistic endeavor. She's 
fairly supportive of because she also does those sorts of things. Um, but she always told me that I would be a lawyer or um, just in general, someone who argues a lot. Ah, interesting. Oh, that's what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of a red flag. <laughs> you dissent quite often. I bet you'll be a lawyer. <laughs> That, right. So she came up with that profession considering like that, that was a way for her to, um, you know, that's actually interesting. Um, you know, there's a lot of parents that do that, like uh, the child's theatrics. Oh, you would be a great actor, right? Um, but she picked lawyer, which generally isn't in the thing that the parents say. That's a, that is very specific uh, that she chose that. And, and the, to, to debate and to argue and to, you know, try to convince, be right. There's, there's a lot of things there. Do you, you know, when somebody says that to you, especially a mother now, what you're explaining, and I'll just interpret this a little bit, is that a mother that does involve themselves in, you know, a child's life and the PTA and, and obviously making clothes and dressing you, they, they're showing up in a very serious way in a, a part of your life that usually isn't, uh, by you know, majority speaking, a lot of parents aren't in a child's school life. They go to school and they don't have their parents around. They don't have to talk about their parents. They don't hear about their parents. They don't say, oh, you have such a wonderful mother. Like, the parent isn't known like she would be known. So your mother was involved at a very high level in your school life, which made it kind of a, I would say, you know, your, your dream, and I'm, I start to pull a lot of pieces in that you lay down on the table, the home invasion, the intrusiveness, that you didn't feel there was substance here and you felt like there was, um, performance and being seen and showing how good she is and you in some ways and I, I wonder do you feel like she was um complimented heavy and you were in her shadow you know meaning that you were always needing to you know also tell people yes she makes this and yes this is nice and yes like you know be the person that continues to kind of support the wind beneath her wings while you know it's your school your experience and so on you know do you kind of get where I'm going with that yeah um and I, I actually didn't feel that way very much uh because I I've always been very aware of how other people feel about my mother. And it is similar to how people feel about her now um, because she only talks about her woes and what's happening and going wrong in her life. She rarely asks other people how they're doing. Um, so I could see that even as a child because she, she was, you know, president of PTA at my elementary school. And she was 
she worked in the library. <laughs> she was a librarian at the school. She was constantly there. And um, I had a really great elementary school experience because my mother picked all of my teachers. Personally, I got all the best, you know, classes, um, but she was heavily involved. I didn't know that that was something that other kids didn't do because I only ever knew other PTA kids. Um, but I knew even then that the way, you know, people treated my mother was like, okay, I, I'm ready to finish this conversation. There was no uh, incredibly close, um, you know, friends in the PTA. It was like, we, we do what she says and, and we put our heads down and get through it, you know. Okay. And how do you relate to that? Doing what she says and put your head down to get through it. Um, I think when I was a kid, I was very much eager to please in that way. I was a straight A student. I was always getting compliments from my teachers that I ate up. I was a really smart kid and I enjoyed learning and being that smart kid. So any, I actually really enjoyed my elementary school experience. And it wasn't until I got to middle school and realized that not everybody's mom is the PTA president and being a perfect student isn't cool <laughs> that I, um, you know, that things started to go sort of awry for me there. Um, um, but And then that's soon, I, but I, I want to kind of draw attention to for everyone listening to is that that is a perfect example of how adaptive codependency is eager to please, um, being, you know, obviously seeing mom in all the different ways that, I mean, too, you're also emotionally learning how people see her, how to cope with her. You're watching adult reactions to her at a very young age. Um, you're figuring out, you know, again, she's a big resource. I mean, she's incredibly, you know, reliable there. Um, but also, you know, it seems like there is an amount of control that's consented to her, right, of, of your classes, of your experience. And yes, there is something positive about that. But then as in hindsight, as far as an adult is concerned, what we find is there isn't variation that allows for a person to grow in ways that help them to become more versatile, resilient, you know, and not so vulnerable because when you come out of the bubble and you recognize, oh, this isn't the way it is. You're like, uh, oh, you know, that's a, that's a dissonant experience. That's a, a cognitively confusing experience because you know, that is something that was, it was very much controlled, contained. You were having a good time in it and you developed certain tendencies within it that helps you. There's, there's also some of the lining. Um, being a good student is nothing, there's nothing wrong with that at all. But when it's, when it's to please, and then you start to find out, you know, wait a second, this isn't the way it is, then all of a sudden our learning can get caught up in our relationship with our mom, our relationship with the teacher, you know? So I, I think that there is, 
as you can see that there there is something about a parent that tries to we're going to talk a little bit parenting tries to create too much of a perfect experience for someone that is denying the reality of a situation for that child to learn in a more organic way. Right. And that came to a head when I, when I did, I got to a new middle school and um, my fifth grade teacher even called my mother um, concerned that I was wearing all of my elementary school, like field day t-shirts. And that, that was most of the clothes that I owned besides the one my mother, you know, made for me. And now that I'm in middle school, at least I know enough not to go to school and, you know, my mother's aunt made clothes. Um, so, you know, I have the elementary school shirts and uh, halfway through the year, my teacher was like, you know, I'm really concerned that she's caught up on her old school. It's all the clothes she wears. She doesn't really know how to integrate into this school. And uh, none of the people that I went to school with in elementary school were at my middle school. So it was like a huge, like, like a culture shock. And I had no, uh, I, I really did struggle with just with classes. You know, I was like an excellent student in elementary school in, you know, all of the higher learning that I could be in. Um, and then suddenly like I'm having trouble with math <laughs> where I, I was like, am I'm suddenly bad at math? And yeah, that is, I am not great at math because I'm a more <laughs> creative mind. And it's, uh, it's something that like, I think that was a very pivotal point of me learning. Like, I don't know what to do here. My mom's not here. Um, and she's yeah. not helping me figure out what to do when she's not here. Her best um, thing to do is is come home and try to put everything back in the bubble. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's right. And now there's a little bit more of a separation. And then there is the, the rupture. Well, this isn't formal rupture and repair, but the rupture that she sees and then the repair when you get home and most likely taking taking care. Now, this is where I, I kind of want to go back to because then that changed because now I wonder about in your dreams and you don't want to talk about your dreams. Well, this is- the I just have so many. <laughs> I know, but you, you, you chose a really good one as far as being in your mother's house and, you know, I mean, dreams, obviously, we have access to unconscious, to fantasy, to everything that we've seen, everything we understand, uh, experience. So the demons can represent something about, you know, even something like, like an emotion that feels like it's out of control. So a lot of times in dreams, the things are symbolized and not to be taken literally, otherwise we don't get the full depth of the meaning. Um, and and so I, I wonder too now with this kind of transition into middle school, how she coped with maybe not being so central in your life and what happened at home uh, during that time. Um, that was probably, uh, I, it was a really tumultuous time for us because my parents had gotten divorced around the time that I left 
elementary school and my mother moved from our neighborhood um which was right next to my elementary school we walked it was it was a very closed bubble you know and uh it's a very vivid childhood because it's all very self-contained um and then the world got bigger right when i went to middle school mm -hmm. and um my mother got, you know, a house because her um, aunt passed away and left her some money. My dad wasn't there. Um, she had started seeing someone who she knew in PTA who had also recently gotten divorced. Mm -hmm. And he was around a lot. I mean, he's my stepfather now. But, <laughs> um, and my brother had moved in with my grandmother. Oh, okay who was kind of um, the larger container for my mother. I actually just talked to my dad about this last night and it was, it was really lovely speaking to him just on a, he, he was very, you know, glad that I was talking to somebody and um, just on a very non-emotional, just this is what it was like level. Um, it was like, you know, I hate, I, I hate, I don't want to do anything to make you upset about your grandmother, but um, it was very much, if we didn't follow, you know, what she was saying, then we were doing something wrong was kind of the vibe that he even felt there. And, and it was all sort of a pyramid scheme, if you will, of, you know, my mother being, uh, under whatever rule my grandmother had and then you know the children under my mom as well see grandmother said it's time for your son to move in with me for a while because things maybe aren't going well for him there and I'll take control of the situation yeah um okay so they had to give up their son <laughs> but the divorce was you know happening and she had someone else. And, and, and then now I, I think that, I mean, that was, that's the reality of the situation. That's several transitions, quite a bit of chaos as far as what you're, again, you're talking about coming from a very um, sustained bubble, controlled, consistent, mom always being present to, uh, now we've got a divide, new school, people are moving places. How did you handle that during that time? How did how do you remember experiencing that that phase? Um, I think it was incredibly overwhelming for me. Mm -hmm. I remember getting to school and I was a very I was cool in elementary school because I was a straight A student and now that I'm in middle school, being a teacher's pet isn't, you know, something people admired. <laughs> um, and I, I very much got bullied and, you know, I was invited to like a, a slumber party. And the only reason they invited me there was to make fun of me and berate me. It was horrible. I had a couple experiences like that almost right off the bat from being the 
quote unquote new kid. Um, and it was, it was wildly confusing and overwhelming. And I didn't know. Uh, and I guess I was so used to people pleasing for my mother or for my teachers and being, you know, the great student I was that I was now trying to please my peers to gain uh, acceptance from them. And I could not for the life of me figure out what the right thing to do was. Like I, I vividly remember this one little girl telling me that when I cursed, it sounded stupid <laughs> and it sounded wrong because I, it was like, I didn't know how to say the word properly. I've never forgotten that. And it, it bothered me. I was like, how do I properly say this word so that my friends think that I'm with it, you know? <laughs> mm -hmm. And, you know, that's really so important to note because now we're starting to uncover the identity that you that you were literally forming as far as a self is concerned in the eyes of the other right who am I and and to mom you were very pleasing you were very accommodating you wore the clothes you allowed her to be there you didn't say this is embarrassing or reject you didn't um, you you went along and you kept your mouth shut and you had a nice experience. <laughs> you know, it was, everything was, you, you, you're going along. But in the, in the course of that, you did identify as somebody that goes along and pleases. And teacher's pet is the favorite, can, let's say, and this is the thing with kiddos, it's like, knowing that if you smile or you turn in the good paper or that that you have that affection and adoration coming towards you then that's something of power by the way that, that there is something gratifying about figuring out how to get the adult to give you the reward to smile to to show you affection so that's you know, when, again, we're rewarded for a behavior that's not yet, you know, it's not rather right or wrong or anything like that, but it does seem to very much have to do with mom being constantly there and trying to appeal to whatever type of situation she's trying to create there, like meaning that you're going to being in alignment with that. You didn't have thoughts of not. So it, it became really what we call like hardwired during that time. And then continuing to, you know, see that that was something that you really, again, got a uh, satisfaction from. And that was something that you could say is me when you go to school at a middle school where, you know, that's not cool. And you have to start completely over from where, you know, and now th this is, now you're struggling because that part of you is, is no longer valid, you know, and, and what happens to that part? Is it, is it seen as a part that's weak? Is it seen as a part that needs to be hidden? Now you cuss and get bad grades, you know, whatever, you know what I mean? You're the opposite of it. 
And this is where, I, you know, the, the idea of now the, the walls start to come up around, you know, the feeling you do not want to feel rejected. You're trying to, in every way, shape, or form, figure out a way to be accepted, but you can't with what it is that your experience was in school. And maybe, again, and, and we'll, we'll see, middle school's a, a very tumultuous time as well, but for a lot of people, right? <laughs> However, um, you, you started to identify with something that was like it, intrinsically flawed about you. But there was something wrong. You were wearing the field day shirts. There was something off about you. There was something wrong. You couldn't even say something right. Is, is that, did that also, because now it's a different experience that's starting to be imprinted that's negative. And so I'm wondering how that started to kind of inform again. Now we're looking at your, your first level of identity. Mm -hmm. um, it definitely, yeah, it made me feel uh, confused and and it did start to become like, um, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be the kid who mom dresses me and I'm not going to, um, I mean, I still got good grades because I knew that, you know, it was important as, as much as I could try, even though, you know, I was still struggling at times, but I, I made, you know, decent grades at that time as well. Um, but I, I kind of did um, form this idea that if I am not the coolest kid in class, at least I'm not the lamest kid in class. And I think the idea, because I didn't know where the direction I needed to be headed in was or what identity I needed to um, dissolve into because that was what I was good at. Um, I figured the middle of the road was my best bet. If I can kind of dissolve into the background, then that will keep me safe and some level of acceptance with some people. <laughs> I will at least have friends if I'm you know, the middle of the road in everything, which is, you know, just another way of me being agreeable. Um, I also thought of when, um, when we were moving and my grandmother was kind of, you know, she was taking care of my brother. Um, it kind of made me realize that I was very lost and didn't know what to do without the structure that I had had in elementary school. And I think my mother had also felt incredibly similarly because, you know, her marriage, this whole idea of being a mother and, and being the PTA mom that her identity had been kind of blown to bits at that time too. And I don't think she was able to give me any kind of direction because she didn't know who we were as a family anymore. Right, yes, absolutely. The, the, the adult experience of 
having an idea of the, of what you are and building a reality around that and what you want. And then that being taken, even if it's like I want a divorce, but then the aftermath is wait, <laughs> now, now how do I reorganize everything is on the ground. So mm -hmm. yeah, I can, I can see that the, that the blending in to cope, um, you know, going from cool kid mother, always there, you know, and, and somewhat a contained situation to one that's so much more variable all sorts of people, all sorts of classes, all sorts of teachers, all sorts of experiences. So that to me, you know, it sounds like blending in and it sounds like you have a temperament that is more, you know, neutralizing, go with the flow, find it. However, there were painful experiences in this, during this time that I think, and this is where Again, you, we can minimize our pain. We can minimize the the effect of that those experiences on us when mom is going through so much pain. When mom is having such a difficult time. When adult life takes bigger leaps and bounds and turns and you know all sorts of things. I mean, in a negative direction, than than ours. So you could have you know tucked away what some of these experiences and a lot of times codependency too is, is really a lot about oppressing or you know pushing away negative feelings of feeling hurt or rejected to stay resilient you know in the middle somewhere doing good enough everything is just enough and and you're not going to call attention to yourself so that that's an experience i wonder if you can see that where you probably needed more support during that time support in elementary school did wasn't necessary because and and again i know that this is a, a job but she made everything perfect right what yeah. we support in the and uh, she picked the teacher she picked the experience she was on top of it but she couldn't be there for that so now it's your turn to and and she's absent and and so how do you organize this experience this is where children are left off to make sense of a situation without adequate cognitive emotional skills to really go oh, okay, I see what this means. That's because those girls and this, that's, yeah, they're not making objective sense of a situation. They're seeing this as a reflection, you know, of what, of where they are, who they are. And a lot of times those kinds of experiences can stay with us as far as something off again. And what what do you think in about protection again we're going to come back to that again because it does seem like you were very protected and then you weren't and what comes up what comes to mind when you think of that dream now that we have all of this context mm -hmm. how do you mm -hmm. think um, 
Yeah, I mean, in middle school, trying to find the structure there, um, I think not being able to, I just, my self-esteem just plummeted. I mean, it was worse and worse throughout middle school. Um, you know, I didn't really have any sense of who I was um, or who people wanted me to be. And it was, it. I was just like, maybe when people say mean things to me, they're correct. I internalized a lot of the, like, you aren't cool. Um, you know, I, I don't want to hang out with you. All of those things became, you know, oh, okay. I, I guess they're right <laughs> because I've been very much in this bubble and they must know more. Um, and with the dreams, um, I am very into dream interpretation. Um, and I have been my whole life. Um, and I know that when I'm in my mother's house, for me, the house usually represents myself and the room that I'm in or the thing that's happening in the room is something going on within my life. Um, and uh, very often I will be in my middle school bedroom, right? I, it's a different house than I had when I was a child. Um, most of my dreams in any kind of house take place in this middle school house. Um, and I'll be in the bedroom there um, where it was kind of the central location of, of the house in real life. So I was literally in the middle of the house upstairs. Um, I could hear my brother walking back and forth. You know, I had two doors to my bedroom. So it was like constant in and out access of other people. I, I ended up changing my locks around the other way in the bathroom so that people couldn't just open my the bathroom door into my bedroom. Um, so yeah, there was a very poor sense of privacy and protection in that room much of the time. Right, and there's the, there's the intrusion again of and, and this is where I think that it becomes more important for you to you know, not really see the rational, but of, of, again, being in a place where, you know, your sense of self is, is diminishing because of, of this new experience. And you're taking that very seriously and personally. And then you, you're also in the center of something where you don't feel like you're in control and people are intruding. And people that, you know, again, and during a time where your brother obviously moved in with your grandmother because of some sort of issue that aren't emotionally safe, that aren't emotionally, well, mom doesn't have structure. She's losing it. She's lost. She's out of control. You don't have control. You have to change locks in order to protect yourself from, you know, somebody just walking into your space. So where, you know, this is the, this is the thing is like, where, what does that mean when, when you can't pull any sort of bound, well, and I'm going to say like, as far as boundaries are concerned, you know, when, when you want one, 
where is it? You know, or is this a place where you've now just, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to change a lot. That's my action of showing you what I want, but I'm not saying anything. This is where, yeah. What are you, what's coming to mind? Yeah. Um, it's something that I thought about after we talked last time was, um, me taking, I, I had a moment where I took responsibility for how I played a part in the relationship because last time I talked a lot about my relationship that I had in my twenties, that 10 year long relationship that I, you know, I broke up with this person. Um, and in hindsight, I realized that I was complicit in kind of allowing some of the behavior to go on because of my lack of boundaries. And I can see that reflected again with my mother. So, you know, I don't, no one's ever taught me how to make boundaries and, um, and say to someone, because I think a lot of my family's way of interacting is not about telling someone how we feel to our face. Um, so yeah, I had no uh, tools for, for setting any kind of boundary. And I, I don't think that was my fault, but I, I do have some responsibility in how things played out by not having any kind of verbal boundary about what I needed. All right, but that's, but that's so key. Let's put it together. Cause first it's so important to like, I think put together the pieces of, of how it got this way is that because in your family, uh, feelings face-to-face -face weren't discussed, right? That's what's required to create a boundary, by the way. Mm -hmm. And so what happens is the coping skill is to be complicit and complain possibly behind people's backs or to you know have resentment, complain internally, have resentment that you store about the situation and you just keep in. Both are very negative ways and have serious consequences as far as you know, what you have to deal with at some point. Either you gotta be the container for the complaining or literally the container for the complaint, you know, meaning that you also are hurting yourself. But the complicit part, you know, is, is the, the part that says, wait a second, I mean, it is, is the part that we have to say, wait a second to, because that is when we think about, again, not being allowed, not given the structure, not being shown how to talk about feelings effectively, to communicate how you're doing in the moment or what your needs are being complicit and just hiding away and doing the thing to survive. You know, that is set, then that's your default. But then if you stay there, that's all that's there. There's no frustration to grow. And that's when we get into relationships and we walk into a relationship and the first time we feel, wow, that's painful we go, but I can deal with it. Yeah. Right. There's a pain threshold that's really high when we don't have boundaries. Yeah. And it, um, 
it just kind of made me realize that I've, I've been in that survival mode most of my life. Right. And that's what can happen is we can see that this affects so much of how we think and how we feel and how we present that like, wait a second, why aren't I responding to it? Now, this is what I want you to consider is how you deal with anxiety. Anxiety, right, is a, is a signal for danger. Danger coming from outside or inside. And it's supposed to be there. But when we're not allowed to talk about it, when we feel an emotion that feels like it's going to be overwhelming or overtake us, or we feel bad, instead of being able to talk about it, we blend it out, we figure it out, we do something with it. We don't see, you know, and I'm wondering about the dream again. Did you feel anxious? Did you feel anxiety? Or can you almost literally push that feeling away? How, what are you associating to when I say all of this? Um, I think in the dream, I was very much able to like put it to the side and probably most likely in this dream is because I wasn't, it wasn't just me in the house. There were other people with me trying to like banish this demon. Um, people I really don't know, but I think we were in like, we're supposed to be like high school age. And yet I was, you know, still, you know, had the mind that I do now, you know, it, it was, you know, me in this high school body. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um, but I, in the dream, I was able to, you know, push the anxiety back. Um, in real life, I think I really did develop anxiety a lot in, and it came from that middle school experience. Um, and I, I am a very anxious person. Um, my mother is too. She, you know, likes her Xanax. <laughs> And I never wanted to be that person, um, you know, needing to rely on it because I see her, you know, how much she depends on it. And I, um, I've gotten better at managing my anxiety because as an adult, I've looked for, you know, things like meditation and having some kind of spiritual connection that genuinely helped me, um, you know, even just breathing exercises to calm my anxiety. Like even before we got on the call, mm -hmm. I, I get a little bit of anxiety talking to literally anybody. Um, I will doodle on the page to kind of release some of the tension. So I think I, now I know how to better manage my anxiety. Um, not perfect at it, but 
Um, it was a huge problem for me in, I think it probably is for everybody in, in high school and middle school, not to belittle myself, but yeah, um, trying to please your peers is such an integral part of our like school experience. Um, and it's, it's a minefield of doing everything wrong. <laughs> Right. I mean, we can definitely get ourselves caught up. And, and if your mother, I mean, this is important to know too, has issues with anxiety. This is one of those things that I call are emotionally learned by children, anxiety and, and habits and, and uh, phobias and, and things like this can come from mom without them being you. They're almost like things that kind of attach to your mind that you could see most likely and say, ah, that's really the way she reacted to something that I internalized. Yes, it was hardwired. I didn't see how it came out until now, but I can, there are parts of your, of your anxious disposition that I'm quite sure that is, are emotionally learned, you know, and activated that can be identified as her personality style and not yours. And then again, deconstructed and, and split off because really you're wanting to get back to the anxiety that really came. I mean, I think that we're really working with here is not, and again, not to overgeneralize, but the, the fear of rejection of what it is, you know, you are, which we're still working with this one idea of being pleasing, go along, complicit, helpful. What else goes along with that other than people pleasing? What, you know, the complicit, you've named some things. What else are you upholding as far as an idea of yourself from that time that was good? Um, mediator. Mm -hmm. I often take that role. Um, Middle. Yeah, um, indecisive, <laughs> which is still a, it's a problem that I've had, you know, I still have and, and I'm very aware of mm -hmm. um, my inability to make important decisions. Um, and only recently did I realize that not making a decision is also a decision. Um, stepping back and trying to remove yourself from a situation that you really can't because it's about your life um, is also a decision that you're making. Um, letting whatever happens in front of you kind of be the wash over you um, doesn't help anybody, least of all yourself. Uh, so yeah. Um, God, it's such a, it's my Libra-ness just kind of all over everything, the balance of it all. And that's what you are trying to uphold. And I think that that can be incorporated again, more of an understanding of temperament, why this is the comfortable place that you've kind of settled into. However, there are you know, ways of making sense of your experience, again, still, and why we're talking about this so much is because like you did with the guy that you left was until you know who you really are and start to fortify, firm up, understand, reinforce those channels, 
then mom stays an intrusive, frightening, overwhelming, controlling force that you need protection from, right? And you can't separate from psychologically or even, you know, without doing some sort of physical barrier. So this is, this investigation into what is, right? What, what is there? And we can see that there is something, but, you know, some of this, you know, mediator, middle person, center, we can see that there are pro, and this is another way of doing this, is we can see there's pros and cons. If you have this as part of your personality within a codependent family, and they start to lean on a talent, a gift, um, a way that you are that's very helpful, naturally. So you're naturally this. However, when it's overly used, when people start to lean on it, when people manipulate that, or they don't take you seriously because you're always in the middle, you're not picking, uh, okay, that's not okay. Now you've, you're exploiting my something that's very generously mine, right? Like I really uh, can master this aspect of, of my personality in life and I think is very valuable. It doesn't mean something like that. So your meaning doesn't need to come into what I understand about myself. This is how self-affirming occurs instead of judging, judging. And a lot of times we misjudge and misinterpret our best qualities because they've been used and abused or misrepresented by our whatever. I mean, it can be parents, it can be spouse, it can be all sorts of, you know, all sorts of people. <laughs> Lots of people. <laughs> but, you know, and, and same with this indecisiveness of, of wanting something and knowing you want something and this would be a real challenge for you um, because, well, because you can go with the flow. But wait a second, can you go to the, with the flow all the time? I think if you were really observant about how this indecisive, whatever you want, I'm available kind of thing gets you in trouble, you would find that you're not okay with it. And it's very habitual. So this again is how mom stays for 10 days. This is how you don't feel like you're able to say, nope, I actually am okay with five. And then I've got to get back to what I'm doing, my life, my work. I don't want to live in disarray with you central for, and in my life for 10, I want. And that's a decision I'm making. And you're going to have to figure out your situation after that. And, and I can have that because I'm real and I really have emotional needs and I really can't take care of you. You know, and, and that's not admitting a weakness. That's admitting a strength. Mm -hmm that you understand that you're important enough to give space and time to, to live her life.
Yeah. So as I as I say that, does any fear come up? Um, I think the natural fears that, you know, that are ingrained, that are, you know, learned from that time period um, in my childhood, those, they're there. Um, they're not anxiety inducing anymore because I have worked on my self-worth um, because I have better tools to know that I do deserve those things that I deserve my own time. And um, I, I think a lot of anger came up um, usually when, when my needs do get trampled on um, anger instead of, you know, fear often comes up as like, I, I know that I don't deserve this and I know I'm not getting the respect that I deserve around this. And I still don't know how to articulate my needs to anyone in my family to, you know, uh, to, to get what I, what I deserve out of it. Um, because it's not just my mother at that point, it's, you know, my brother was here as well with his wife and they all seem to have made the plans for what they were going to do when they came here. Um, and then just let me in on them, just let me know what was happening. Um, that's going to be the last time that most likely happens. Uh, yeah, and I, I, I <laughs> said that out loud when they left. <laughs> Not to them, of course, but to my partner, I was like, I can't do 10 days anymore. I can't do so-and-so's plan and whoever's plan or the mom plan that I wasn't you know, made aware of at all. And she only did it you know, when she got here and I had to watch her dog um those kinds of things just aren't going to happen anymore and and this is why you know we're here now because i i know that i deserve to put my foot down right and the put the foot down is acknowledging your own aggression acknowledging your own and this is what i say in codependency is it feels aggressive to say mine mm -hmm. why because you're not allowed to um, you know, because it's not aggressive to say mine. It's your right, you know, and, and nobody just because their family has the right to take yours, yours away, your right to chime in, to give your suggestion, to say what you are willing to do, to ask you. Family doesn't have that right. Mm -hmm. So what it has to happen here is to put our foot down is like, you know, again, this overdetermined idea that that's like, you know, the, the, whatever, the hammer of Thor. It's not, it's a very normal thing to do that I like to bring down to size and say, yes, you understand this about yourself. You understand this in the world, but it's the most important person to do it with or your people for you psychologically, not if they're going to get it or not. We're not really worried about that or, or even the reaction, but is, is to start to frustrate these relationships for you to be able to grow. 
and frustrate your own growth a little bit too. Meaning that I would love for you to, and I usually don't give like specific things to do, but because, you know, the kind of the anger that you felt or the, the kind of, again, the, the idea of being put upon, intruded upon, writing down, this is how this situation unfolded. This is how I felt about the situation unfolding like this. I'm going to, this is what you did. This is how I felt. This is what you did. This is how I felt. And you can write that in any way you want, but you know, being able to on paper or writing however you want to let yourself be angry, you know, verbalize it in words, allow for yourself to see it, not just stay with this feeling of that won't happen again and remember all those things, but really I want you to acknowledge with feeling what you experienced. Mm-hmm. And say, and I, and looking at that, remember, you had a pretty serious, you know, emotional response to recognizing you've been living in fight or flight. That means living in a place where you don't have your feet on the ground. That you're constantly scared. That you do need protection because there isn't a form around you that says, I've got this. But because what has to happen, I got this, is an aggressive statement. And I say aggression is on the spectrum. It's an aggressive drive. If we don't have one, that and our libido, we don't live. We need aggression to work. We need positive aggression. We need aggression to speak. I have to want to speak. That takes work. It's the rub, right? So aggression has this huge spectrum. I'm not talking about antics and losing our minds and all that. Mm-hmm. Sure, that, that's there too, by the way. But, but, but it's on the other end. But I'm talking about the real, the, the focus of, of really understanding and allowing ourselves to have our aggression. Mm-hmm. And it's not equal to mom. It's not equal to losing control. And it's not going to destroy anything. Right. right. The aggression of rubbing two sticks together to create something. Right. Mm-hmm. To create something that's going to help you help you survive. Yeah. Right. Have to survive them. So that exercise sometimes helps again to bring these types of feelings into words, mentalizing, verbalizing. You know the experience is there. And then We'll, we'll look at the, the next step to that because I think that would be a good exercise. For sure. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if I did journal at some point when yeah. uh, after they left. I From time to time, I will take to my bullet journal and just, you know, blot out a page of like, this is all of my feeling. It is a very good tool that I should utilize more often. Yeah, but if you can find that or even, mm-hmm. you know, reiterate and see, because I think this is more, you know, even writing again, mm-hmm. reaffirm, because these channels are soft. And sometimes that can be, you know, those, that complicit channel is like 
uh, rooted. These are softer. So again, getting to know this part of yourself as a real part, bringing it into form mm -hmm. is, is the, the work here that then helps you to, with your goal. Yeah. Creating that internal boundary. So mom is easily told or told beforehand yeah. next time. Mm -hmm. Oh, I've already gotten the text message. Um, are you free for spring break? What are you doing? I was like, I think we're maybe camping. And she immediately went into, oh, where are you camping? Is it with friends? Is it something that maybe me and your stepdad could join in on? And I was like, oh no, <laughs> I need to have this conversation very soon. <laughs> That's good. That's good. We're getting there. So yeah. next in, in the next week, we'll talk more about, you know, what it is that's starting to form that you can present and what we can work through at kind of more of a how as well with that. So you have some practice and some, some ideas. And again, your dreams coming up, the more information that we have about what holds you back, where's the resistance, what you're imagining, the less that will you know, impede you in, in your growth. Like it's coming out now. So you, we want it out, we, we want to see it, we want to integrate, so, okay? Yeah, that feels good. Mm -hmm. Good. I'll see you next week. All right. Thank you. All right. Bye. Bye. Welcome back. As you heard, we started to unpack all the different ways her mother's behavior and overall life had informed, that is inwardly formed, how she saw herself for better or worse. The gears are now turning and more patterns of identification with her mother, as well as her own past, will be revealed to her between sessions, through her dreams, thoughts, and daily experiences. Understanding oneself in relationship to their past can lead to the lessening of symptoms like anxiety and fear, as well as allow more mental energy now to flow towards their efforts to grow. So next week, we will talk about how to approach communicating with her mother more directly and any resistances that come up along the way. See you next time.